So let's talk a little bit about the city or cities, it turns out, that signed on. So when you and your colleagues were gearing up for the global launch of the initiatives, uh, which I guess technically launched, uh, I guess, what, August 31st, if I'm not mistaken. Is that right? That's right. Yeah. Yeah. So did you have conversations, I'm sure you did, about, or even maybe guesses about, because I think that you were aiming at nearly 100 cities globally. Um, did you have thoughts about, like, what countries, what cities, what states, uh provinces, wherever, would be among the first to endorse the treaty? Did you have kind of like, well, I have a hunch maybe this this will happen or maybe they'll, they'll be? <laughs> yeah, well, we, we were, were hoping for some cities in the United Kingdom because that's where uh, the next COP or Conference of the Parties for the climate negotiations will be. Mm-hmm. So they'll be in Glasgow, Scotland. And Scotland, uh, Glasgow actually has a a progressive city council with a lot of green. Uh, there are a number of cities in, in Britain that have a lot of green counselors, like Brighton, Bristol, Edinburgh. Um, so we are launching specific city campaigns in, 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 in those in those cities. Uh, we also thought that uh, some of the cities that endorse the fossil fuel non-proliferation treaty might follow suit. So in the United States, L.A. signed the fossil fuel treaty. Toronto, where I'm from, signed it. Vancouver, Barcelona, mm-hmm. um, um, uh, Sydney, Australia. So, you know, we're, we're hopeful that if there's council, a majority of councillors are endorsing the fossil fuel treaty and and uh, they, they are, you know, seriously concerned about the climate crisis, then they'll, they'll want to, you know, further solutions. Yeah. They'll want to, you know, take all the measures that are necessary to avert a climate crisis. So, you know, we're going to be targeting those cities as well. Sure. Uh, with all that and sort of looking ahead as you were preparing your launch, were you thinking this a couple of weeks in that there might be more than one or as it turns out two cities were you thinking well maybe maybe there'll be i mean it's probably all just projecting obviously just based on who's responded to other treaties etc and just certain areas that are more environmentally minded maybe but um were you thinking there would be more than two at this stage of the game or is that kind of what you mm-hmm. thought would just sort of start this way and then build yeah. um no we, we, we think it takes time because uh, there's a process you know you first have to get counselors to spearhead the initiative or champion the initiative, that takes time. Um, so on the plant-based treaty website, we have an email action page. Um, and then uh, for some countries where we have data, you could fill out uh, an email letter that would go to your counselors and city and ask them to endorse. So that was part of the impetus for some of the cities to endorse. But it, it, it usually is a process and takes time. And the fossil fuel treaty was created in 2019. So they have quite a head start. Yeah. Us, but we're fast-tracking because they've provided an excellent example for us. Sure. And we should note that the uh, website is, is plantbasedtreaty.org. And uh, as Anita notes, there's a lot of great information there and a lot of um, action and things that you can take uh, or, or read documents that are specific to you or your area and how you can help. So what what exactly, it turns out there was a city in Argentina as well. At least the first thing I heard about was Boynton Beach. And so... First of all, what kind of reaction did you and your colleagues have when you learned that Boynton Beach was the first, or maybe simultaneously with the one in Argentina, but was the first, uh, among the, f- the first two at least, let's say, to um, sign on? Yeah, we were elated, because I guess we didn't expect it that soon, because usually it's a, you know, it's a bit of a process, but the yeah. environmental commissioner, Boynton Beach, endorsed it. And then the city in Argentina's Rosario, and our activists uh, had a launch 
event there, and they met with the mayor and the councillors. So they had they endorsed on the spot. So that that that's why those took the, those happened so quickly. Sure. So normally, if it takes time, and uh, you know, we're hopeful that by the end of the year, we'll have many, many more city endorsements. And what specifically, like, what tasks or obligations has say Boynton Beach or City in Argentina committed to uh, specifically by signing on and endorsing the treaty? So. When a city endorses either the fossil fuel treaty or the plant-based treaty, all they're committing to is is saying that national governments negotiate a global treaty. But at the same time, we have guides on our website that uh, list actions that cities can take. And in fact, Stephanie, uh, who is our climate campaigner in Argentina, she she, she's meeting with uh, the the mayor and city councilors in Rosario the third largest city in Argentina, and, you know, talking about implementation measures. So usually if a city endorses, you know, they're not only indicating that they want a global treaty, they're indicating that they want to be part of the solution. So, it, you know, it's up to them, but we, we are we, we are happy to, you know, continue our partnership and, you know, work together on, on looking at some of the things cities can do, because cities do have a lot of jurisdiction when it comes to climate. Um, first of all, they can declare a climate emergency, uh, and if they do, they, they'll have a climate action plan. And in their climate action plan, they could have a section addressing uh, the promotion of plant-based foods. Um, you know, they often organize food festivals. Uh, they could have plant-based food at their, uh, in their, at, at their conferences. Um, they often have jurisdiction over daycares and old-age homes and, and so forth. So in different cities have different, in different countries have different jurisdictions, and, and, but there's still plenty that they can do. Sure. And when a city uh, or an area does declare like a climate emergency, is that something that helps free up or make available funds to take certain steps that maybe weren't there prior to that action being taken? Exactly. Like, for example, the city of Toronto uh, has a fund for it declared a climate emergency a few years ago. It this a couple of months ago it endorsed the fossil fuel treaty, um, and, and as part of that, it sent a letter to the prime minister indicating that it endorsed the fossil fuel treaty. It has a fund to support green energy buildings and so forth. So uh, yes. I mean, if, if, if cities declare a climate emergency and they're serious about implementation, then they will have you know set up funds and programs and policies. Let me let folks know this is Talking Animals. I'm Duncan Strauss. My guest is Anita Kreins, the Global Campaign Coordinator of the Plant-Based Treaty, which, as we're discussing, encourages actions uh, on various levels from uh, cities to organizations to individuals uh, to take certain steps to help mitigate the climate crisis. We invite you to join the conversation by calling 813-239-9663, emailing dj at wmnf.org, or texting 813-433-0885. So, yeah, I needed when you were talking about some of the, even the smaller steps that cities or other organizations can take, it reminded me when uh, our caller Mary there was talking about environmental uh, activists and yet um, seemingly kind of contradictory uh, actions. One of the things that uh, popped into my head that I didn't say at that moment but meant to was that sometimes just even as basic as at functions, fundraisers, whatever occasion there might be, benefits, whatever, for environmental groups, animal groups, others, sometimes the food that's served it doesn't jive at all with the, the message or the group or the philosophy. In other words, you, you would often think those will be certainly plant-based menus, and they're not, and you think, Really? So. Absolutely, that's a great point. So yeah, there are uh, there's a coalition of uh, animal protection and environmental groups that are calling on UN 
meetings to be fully plant-based, uh, including um, the Conference of the Parties or COP in Glasgow. It's called COP26. It's a 26th Conference of the Parties. Hmm. So that so it gives you an indication of how long ago it started, if it's the 26th. Yeah, for uh, sure. And, uh, yeah, so even Greenpeace and a number of Friends of the Earth and a number of other environmental groups are part of that coalition. So there is a growing recognition on the part of many environmental groups that we need to address all three greenhouse gases. And methane and nitrous oxide, alongside carbon dioxide, um, are mainly coming from animal agriculture. So if you look at methane, uh, more than a third is coming from animal agriculture. Uh, another significant portion is coming from fracking and shale gas. Um, and then there's also methane from landfills and so forth. Uh, but there is a methane emergency. Methane is growing each year, and uh, it's a short-lived gas. So if we address it, we could nip the, nip the problem in the butt in a way. Yeah. Uh, at least it, it, for it not getting, not us, you know, passing tipping points. It's also a very potent gas. It's 80 times more potent than carbon dioxide on a molecule per molecule basis. So wow. it's, it's absolutely essential to address methane now. Um, if we want to avoid, you know, um, heading towards catastrophic climate change in the near term. And really, there's a pretty straight line that could be drawn from methane to uh, factory farming, animal agriculture, right? I mean, that's... Exactly. Exactly. It's a, it, it comes from um, particularly the, the, the cow and dairy industries. Um, uh, ruminant animals uh, emit methane uh, through burps and, you know, Farts and things like that, but um, but also it comes from um, their manure. So yeah. I think it's also important to promote veganic farming, um, and there certainly is a strong and growing movement. I know the earlier caller had mentioned, you know, growing locally. Yeah. Um, but you know, it's worth worthwhile also exploring veganic and not using manure from cows. For sure. So Anita, from your standpoint, what role? Does the recent string of kind of more seemingly uh, dramatic natural disasters play in persuading individuals, organizations, cities, others to take climate change more seriously? I mean, it's hard not to look to just any random recent thing. Hurricanes can be more severe now. Wildfires are more frequent and destructive, at least in certain areas. Flooding can be described much the same way. Snowstorms that time of the year are often earlier, more harsh, more extreme, or happening in places they never used to happen. So in some way, as dramatic and unfortunate and truly tragic in some cases these things are do you think that helps kind of seize people's attention and focus it on climate change because you can't really pay attention to one without paying attention to the other with how, how drastically some of these things have changed I, I think yeah that's it's true uh you know previously uh looking for impact uh, they were often in another part of the world or they're in the arctic and the antarctic and how many of us have been there to watch the ice melt um but now they're happening in our own cities and towns. I, I live in Toronto, and for the first time, I was born here, so I've lived here for decades, and the fir first time ever, there was smoke in the air, and it was coming from more than 100 fires in nor north uh, northwest Ontario. That was a first. Like, I've never smelled smoke, <laughs> like, in the city yeah, like that. And uh, I'm sure you, we all have stories like that. It's, 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 it's astonishing if you look at, you know, the recent Hurricane Ida um, who would have thought it would affect, um, you know, the Northeast with that, the kind of flooding that it did. I have friends who said their basements were flooded. So, you know, you just ask your, because uh, we're a global organization, we have Zoom calls with people in Turkey and um, Argentina and Britain and all over the world. Yeah. And, uh, you know, they say uh, in Turkey, um, our organizers said they never saw tornadoes before or uh, the, the forest fires were 
unprecedented in their experience. Um, in Britain, uh, my friends who live there said it, they lived in the south, Bournemouth. They were saying um, it was never that hot there before. They had a, they don't have air conditioning because they're not used to that kind of hot weather. So she had to sleep with a towel, a wet towel over her, and she never did that in her lifetime. So the the sad thing is, is that every year it's going to get worse. And even like the Paris Accords that say you know let's limit it to one point five, that's yeah. disastrous. Look how bad it is now at one point one. Yeah. And uh, to go up to 1.5 degrees Celsius, it's disastrous. The good thing about the plant-based treaty is there are three basic principles. One, don't make the problem worse. So no new deforestation for animal ag, no new animal farms, no new slaughterhouses. Number two is like redirect subsidies from animal ag to um, plant-based foods. And the third is restore and reforest the earth. So with plant-based treaty, you not only cut emissions, but you're part of the solution because if you if we switch to a plant-based diet, we don't have to take so much land to produce animal feed and for grazing, and we could reforest that land, and that would take carbon dioxide out of the atmosphere and reduce the global concentration and potentially cool the earth. So there's a double solution that comes with the plant-based treaty. So one is you address emissions, and number two is you... Uh, you know, plant forests to absorb carbon dioxide and lower the emissions. So if you don't want to see Greenland completely melt, there's only one thing you can do about it. You have to cool the earth. You can't keep, you can't have the earth heating up the way it is because inevitably all of Greenland will, will melt and that will be, you know, sea level rise of, you know, almost 10 meters. Um, so is, that, is this the legacy we want to leave to, to future generations? Um, you know, so we, we need to cool the earth. So, uh, I think in the short term, we should, we should try to do as much as we can to phase out, quickly phase out fossil fuels and animal agriculture. And, uh, you know, it's not a time for half measures. It's a, it's a time of consequences. And I, and I think we should treat it just like governments and movements treated, you know, the, the rise of fascism in the 30s and early 40s. And, you know, there, there was a popular front that formed. And uh, it was a big tent approach. You know, people that normally don't work together all work together. And I think uh, the same thing has to happen now. We're we're all part of the same family. We all have to work together. And we can't think in terms of us and them. Uh, you know, we're, we're going to sink or swim together, basically. Yeah. Well, I, I absolutely agree. And I do think back to our, uh, unfortunately, kind of a brief litany of, of, you know, more recent or more extreme disasters that people that were somehow client change deniers or at least were not sure or whatever, it's hard to imagine that they aren't swayed by Ida or flooding in the Northeast or snowstorms or, or the, you know, where they didn't used to be or, or incredible heat where, the, where those didn't used to be. So I'd like to think that has people's attention. So just, we're just at the end of our time here, Anita, but, but again, let's let people remind people that, uh, that the, the website to find out much more about the plant-based treaty is simply plantbasedtreaty.org, but there's all kinds of actions you can take, all kinds of information you can get. So if someone was listening to this and said, you know what, yeah, I've been one of those that haven't really taken steps either, like what are kind of a modest step that someone that maybe is not ready to go all in right today but could take a, 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 at least a modest step? And then what is a, a bigger step that someone maybe could go to the website or otherwise take a bigger action just as we kind of conclude our conversation today. Well, regardless of your diet, if you could just please go to the plantbasedtreaty.org website and endorse the treaty, and that's just the recognition that we, you know, we need to switch to a plant-based world as part of the climate 
crisis uh, as part of the solution to the climate crisis. So just endorsing that is a big step. When you when you endorse, there's a form, and it asks what your diet is, whether you're vegan, vegetarian, pescatarian, omnivore, flexitarian. And then based on how you answer it, uh, you get a specialized email that helps you take further steps. So if you're, say, a flexitarian, um, we do have uh, some resources that could help you, uh, whether they're you know, recipes or films to watch or things like that. Um, we, we have uh, on our campaign hub page, we have a partnership with Challenge 22, and they're a wonderful group based in Israel that um, gives uh, 20, I think it's 21 days of, sorry, 22, because Challenge 22, 22 days of uh, free recipes to you, and they, they can answer any questions you have uh, so that I can help you. Um, so I think, uh, I think people don't realize that. If your your taste buds change, if you just you know try a plant based diet for over twenty days, then you won't have that craving for dairy yeah. uh, because it is an addiction. But if you can just hold on to having you know just trying a plant based diet for say twenty two days, you will. It's remarkable how it sort of shifts uh, your 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 cravings. So we'll direct people one more time to the plantbasedtreaty.org. We are at the end of our time, Anita. Uh, but thank you so much for joining us. We've been speaking with Anita Kreins about the plant-based treaty. One more time, plantbasedtreaty.org to find out all kinds of information and guidance and uh, actions you can take and, and much, much more. It's just a great, really uh, sweeping, comprehensive website. So Anita, thank you so much for joining us today on Talking Animals. Thank you so much, Duncan. It's a pleasure. In a moment, we'll speak with artist Chad Mize about the new exhibit at his Mize Gallery in St. Pete. It's entitled Critters, and it features the new works of some 70 artists, each of whom were assigned a different critter. Right now, they're going to step into the Comedy Corner with a piece from Chris Porter called Vegan Date in today's Comedy Corner on Talking Animals on WMNF. We're on a date with a girl. She's gorgeous, smart, but she's a vegan, so that's over before it started. <laughs> What do you say to a vegan on a date other than, hey, stop crying, I'm trying to eat? <laughs> I got nothing against you, vegans. God bless you if you're here. You don't eat meat, you don't wear animals. That's fine, that's your prerogative. I'm just saying stop looking at me like I'm an asshole, because we were here first. <laughs> there were no vegans 40 years ago. You know why? They all died in January, that's why. <laughs> Now when I'm eating my steak, don't boo and hiss at me, because we are not the only species that eats meat. When you see tigers attack a gazelle, you don't see a bunch of hippie tigers off to the side and boo! Can't believe I'm wearing this. Boo! No, they're eating the meat. You know why? Because meat's delicious, that's why. I'd eat more vegetables, but they taste like they came out of the ground. That was Chris Porter in today's Comedy Corner with a piece called Vegan Date, taken from his album Ugly and Angry. Now it's time to speak with Chad Mize about the new exhibit at his Mize Gallery in St. Pete entitled Critters. This is Chad Mize on Talking Animals on WMNF. Good morning, Chad. 
Hey, how's it going? Good. Thanks for joining us on Talking Animals. So tell me about Critters. What does the exhibit involve and like whose idea was it? Uh, so, you know, at Mind Gallery, we do group exhibits every month. And this is our 40th exhibit at the gallery. Wow. And for this one, we were just inspired by animals and thought it would be a good subject matter. So, you know, the shows are themed and we have uh, close to 70 artists in this exhibit. Yeah. Uh, it was an open call. So uh, artists applied and gave us their top five animals. And then we assigned them on animals so each you know piece is different right no i wondered i was wondering uh, how people got assigned to say a praying man is here and a and a uh, tasmanian tiger there but it's, so i guess they submitted like i'm hoping it's one of these five and then yeah, and you guys they got their first or second choice oh that's great and there's yeah. a, there's clearly as a product that there's no overlap so all 70 or thereabouts artists all are doing a different critter mm-hmm that's great. Yeah, so, so each, you know, and each piece is under 12 by 12 inches, so there is a size requirement for okay. the work. So they're smaller pieces. I got you. But otherwise, once they got their critter, they could, and fit that the, the size specifications, they could do whatever they wanted in terms of rendering that uh-huh. critter. Yeah, and it's a lot of, you know, mixed media, different, you know, not just paintings. We have some sculptural work in the piece and the show. So it's all over the board. It's a really strong show. I'm looking at the work now. We're about to install it this afternoon. Yeah, well, that brings me to one of my next questions. So, yeah, when can people see the Critters exhibit? Uh, so the opening is this Friday from mm-hmm. 6 to 9 at Mize Gallery. That's 689 Dr. MLK Street North in St. Pete, Florida. And the show is up for a month, and our hours of operation are Saturdays from 10 to 5 and Sundays 10 to 2. Great. So uh, apart from the weekend, you can get a sneak preview on this Friday from that 6 to 9 range. Yeah. So as artists submitted their assigned critter, were, were there pieces that surprised you in one way or another? Uh, well, one of the things that was a surprise, you know, being an open call, people submit their, you know, art. Not, I don't really know where they're from. So we had probably seven people ship their work from out of state. And then we had two artists from Europe in this show. So I have an artist representing Austria, and then I have another one from the Netherlands. Wow. So that was kind of a shock for us to actually have artists submit from out of the country. When you say it's an open call, like, how do people, especially from that far away, hear about this exhibit and say, hey, yeah. Yeah, you know what? I, I want to get involved with that in the critters. Yeah, well, you know, we, had, we definitely have a presence on Instagram and Facebook. Okay. So I'm assuming that that's how they found out. Yeah. I uh, may have been a friend of theirs. Um, I haven't reached out to the artist specific to those areas to find out how they heard about it. Right. But I'm assuming that's probably the case. That's cool. I mean, that's great yeah. to get that kind of reach. Uh, For sure. Very that's cool. the beauty. That's the beauty of social media. Right? Yeah, for sure, and that's the beauty of people being interested in doing critters. I think. I think <laughs> that's. Uh, <laughs> uh, you, you know, you like animals and critters, and uh, so do obviously a lot of the artists and stuff. So, is there is there anything that that has come in so far as you're preparing the show that you think? Wow, they had a, whatever it was—a a tiger, a praying mantis, a toucan. Well, I think you they, know, just visually, you'd have to see it. I'm yeah. going to put the whole show on chadmize.com okay. uh, this week, so people, if they're not able to make it to the gallery, they can go to that website and check it out. Oh, great! Um, but you know, you're just my favorite thing of having this gallery is when people—you know—you put out an idea, and then people have like four months to create the work. But the most joy I have is when they drop it off or mail it in, and you just open the box and see what they've created from your idea. Yeah. Um, so it's just so, 
and the artists just are so diverse, you know, with the styles, you know, what their idea would be for that animal specific. Uh, some of the artists actually, there's a piece uh, that's sloth, um, and it's got a little reference to sloth in it, but it's more about this woman laying on her couch, kind of falling off the couch, being a sloth. Okay. So Great. her critter was her her art is in that vein, but it, she was inspired by the animals disposition sure uh, and that, that's a little bit different than most of the pieces in here so it's kind of got more of a human form in it as opposed to an animal yeah no it's definitely got a real interpretation and or uh, both meanings of sloth i guess rolled into one piece so that sounds very cool so chad did you say uh starting i mean the, the, the initial thing is friday six to nine but yep. otherwise saturday sunday and you say that's running for a month so people yep that's uh till the middle of the month of october so okay it's got cool. like Typically, there's three weeks for the shows. That's great. So we have a month, a week off in between each exhibit. Gotcha. And again, for people who, for some reason, even given that length of time, can't get over there, it's going to be on Chad Mize, uh, M-I-Z-E, Chad, M-I-Z-E dot com. Uh, to take a look, but obviously, it'd be great if you get there in person and take these babies in uh, directly. So, uh, so Chad, thank you so much for joining us on Talking Animals. Sound like a great exhibit, and just the few things I've seen so far look fantastic. All right. Well, I appreciate you reaching out. All right. Hope to see everybody out at the gallery. All right. Thanks again. Thank you. Bye bye. Coming up at WNF, the music kicks back in with Scott Elliott from noon to 3 p.m. A glorious three hours of music, followed by Robin Hooper with yet another three hours of music. And we just keep the music coming as we roll into our block of Latin programming and beyond. Reaching the end of this edition of Talking Animals on WNF Tampa. We'll return next Wednesday, of course, with another edition at 11 o'clock. I invite you to join me for that show. Also, invite you to visit talkinganimals.net for audio archives of every show we've ever broadcast. Apple Podcasts are there too, as well as other podcast platforms, and there's links to our social media pages and more. And that's all on talkinganimals.net. Thanks very much for listening. I'm Duncan Strauss. Have a good week. Be kind to animals. Be kind and critters, of course. Be kind to others. Be kind to yourself. This is Talking Animals on WMNF, Tampa, Brandon, Clearwater, Largo, Wikiwachi, and beyond. See you next Wednesday at 11 a.m. on Talking Animals. NPR News headlines next, and then the fabulous Scott Elliott for three hours of great, great music. Stay tuned.